Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a couple pastor scholars dig into the Word of God using a seasonally appropriate scripture passage drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. We hope that it will be enjoyable and edifying for all, and especially equipping for pastors or teachers who are working on sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary at Indiana Wesleyan University. And my guest today is Miranda Cruz. Miranda Cruz teaches uh, theology for Indiana Wesleyan University in the School of Theology and Ministry. And uh, she's been teaching there for a number of years and is a colleague of mine. And I really enjoy uh, talking ideas and talking pedagogy and talking scripture uh, with her. And she's a excellent preacher. And I was really excited to, to finally have her on the show. So I hope that you'll um, enjoy listening to this conversation as much as I enjoyed uh, engaging in it. So this week's text is Genesis uh, chapter 2 verses 15 through 17, and then chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. So mainly 3, 1 through 7, but a little bit from 2, 15 through 17. Make sure to subscribe if you are not already doing so, so you never miss an episode. And as you're listening, if you enjoy the show, hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice to pass this show along so that others may benefit as well. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Miranda. So Genesis 2, verses 15 through 17, and then 3, uh, verses 1 through 7. Um, mm-hmm. Would you like to read? Would you be open to that? You can use whatever yeah, version fine. you want. You brought your own. I've got it, some others if you I want. I have it in the English in front of me. So <laughs> Good old, good old English. What version, just out of curiosity? This is NRSV. Excellent. Okay, great. Well, go for it. All right. Genesis 2, 15 through 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You may freely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. And then skipping down to chapter 3, 1 through 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say, You shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. (laughs) So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. Let us pray. Almighty God, most merciful Father, you to whom all hearts are open and all desires are known, 
we dare to ask that you would cleanse the thoughts of all our hearts, uh, the hearts and minds of uh, both Miranda and I, as well as the hearts and minds of all those listening in separated by time and space, that you would cleanse the thoughts of all our hearts, that we may be made ready to be illumined by the light of your truth as it comes to expression in the word of God. Father, we dare to ask that by your spirit, we would be guided uh, to see what needs to be seen, to hear what needs to be heard in the text and in one another uh, for the sake of the church. As we listen to the world, as it cries out in need, and as we speak to the world with the saving word of the gospel. Pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, the living word made flesh. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks, Miranda. First time guest. Yeah. So excited. Happy to be here. Yay. We even, uh, I don't always reveal this, but occasionally I, uh, occasionally I give guests a few options, especially first time guests, you know, uh-huh. hey, you, know, you know, to entice, you know, and, uh, Miranda had a few choices and she, she, she chose this among the options. I, so I just outed you as you're like, mm-hmm. and I believe you had a little, uh, like a little snake emoji or something in the response. <laughs> <laughs> like, yep. There was clearly a little excitement. Uh, and, and as a train, it's a, it's a fun text. Yeah. And as a, <laughs> as a fellow trained historical theologian, how could you not be like this text mm-hmm. is kind of outsized influence in the mm-hmm. or the other way around and our own study of the tradition yeah. is an outside influence on our reading the text so we'll have to Definitely. manage that but yeah since your first time guest then as a refresher to our listeners i thought i'd just walk through our usual pattern so it's we never go more than an hour and um we don't have to do a full hour if you don't if we don't have time or we run out of stuff to say uh but uh and it's usually divided in three parts um corresponding to like the standard you know Bible school observation, interpretation, application, uh-huh. right? So like we'll spend 15 or so minutes. We've already started that reading it and just making observations. What are we noticing? What's interesting here? The idea is this is half cooked stuff. So we're just fresh text. We're not, mm-hmm. not fully formed ideas. And generally, especially with OT text, but in general, we try to stay pretty close to the text right in front of us before mm-hmm. and save the broader connections either literary, historical, theological for the second section, which is the interpretations. That's when we can get into Great. wherever we want to space out on. And then in the third section, we, I call it the sermon starters. We're like, so we'll like, what are some mm-hmm. sermon ideas? Where might we run sure. with this? So that's the basic gist. Great. Oh, pretty straightforward. So what, what's grabbing you today as you read this strange yet familiar text or familiar yet strange text? There's, there's so much here. <laughs> <laughs> there's so, so much. Uh, the, uh, being placed in the garden to till it and keep it He's, mm. has a purpose and being put in the garden that, that jumped out at me a little bit, just thinking about, uh, yeah. What, what does that mean to keep the garden and different uh, ways of different ways that's been taken? What, uh, what's the verb in the NRSV to keep. keep till till it and keep it till it and keep it NASV has to cultivate it and keep it mm-hmm. so that till cultivate same gist yeah you know, nice yeah and of course some versions are gonna uh, use steward there mm. I think um, and others have a more 
uh, like dominated <laughs> kind of subdue. Kind of, yes, yeah, subdue. Is it subdue uh, in the KJV? I'm going to look. You keep it, talking about it. It may very well be. Uh, so you get that little nugget starting out, but just the whole the whole narrative. Uh, it it always strikes me as so interesting as a story about sin and about humanity hmm. and the way this the way it's framed as a narrative with we have a talking serpent and we have uh the woman and the man and so those elements just if you're if you're coming at this truly fresh if it's been a long time since mm. you've read it or maybe you're encountering it for the first time which uh a lot of my students are then you read this and it's just full of things like wait what where with the what now yeah <laughs> yeah you're you're going to die like that seems like a lot. And Overkill. then you have a talking serpent and then they don't apparently immediately drop dead because they have time to make some clothes for themselves. So like what, what is really going on <laughs> in this story? Um, Do you find your students yeah. with less exposure to the text have uh, some exegetical advantages? Uh, I have uh, from time to time when I've worked with teenagers who've never heard it, if they mm-hmm. hadn't heard it preached on before, like, cause they don't immediately think, the serpent is Satan. They don't right. immediately say, Oh, well they, the spiritual death is the surgery. They, they don't have any mm-hmm. of these like, you know, ready to hand exegetical explanations right. kind of like in their heads, you know? And mm-hmm. sometimes they actually notice that the text doesn't use the word fall. The text doesn't use uh-huh. the word Satan. <laughs> like, right. It doesn't, <laughs> it's hard for me to get that stuff out of my head. But. Sin, That's I right. Think. Oh my, uh, you're, that's a good, I'm going to check now that you said it. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure it doesn't. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like it, it's good just describing die. what happened. Good and evil is the closest you mm-hmm. get to kind of right. weighty theological yeah. terms. Mm-hmm. So it's just, hmm. it's, a, it's a, I mean, it's not straightforward because it's very unusual having this talking serpent and that kind of thing, but it says their it, eyes were open. It's wow. a story. It's it's it's, yeah. an, it's told as a narrative. It's not like some of the stuff we read from Paul or even other places in Genesis where it's kind of explaining a concept. It's just a sequence of events that then you draw out the the theological significance of them. Yeah, the the genre that you're highlighting there, mm-hmm. right? The, the just the character of it as a narrative mm-hmm. is so crucial to keep in mind. Because it's so easy to kind of try to extract, rush to extract right. some kind of doctrine or teaching. Yeah. Which is, of course, is my, as a theologian, that's where my brain goes. Yeah. To force myself to stay in the narrative a little bit more. Well, perhaps you've uh, experienced, if you wait and let the narrative be a narrative, mm-hmm. you get better doctrine in the end anyway. Right. <laughs> like, it's, 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 there's still a preference uh-huh. for doctrine hiding in that strategy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll confess the same. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In every copy of the Bible I have, there may be some exceptions that I haven't gotten around to having not read this passage in it, but in all my physical copies, I have the phrase, the fall or the fall of man Mm -hmm. as a title. And I have it crossed out. Um, there's a number, there's a number of like headings that I think are over determining the meaning of a text. And it's like Mm -hmm. headings. I mean, you know this, but I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, but I mean, Headings have a value to help you find a passage, but like there can often be really misleading. Mm-hmm. One of my other most hated ones is the, uh, in Genesis, uh, what is it? 32, where it says, 
Jacob wrestles with God. It's like, spoiler alert, right? It's right. like, like that's a surprise. You uh-huh. think it's some stranger or maybe Edom. You, you don't know what's going on. Yeah. And even it never straight out says it. It's, it's indirect. It's mm-hmm. through, he says, I saw the face of God. But right. the character says, why do you ask my name? Mm-hmm. It's like, I mean, so yeah. it's implied, but it's very, mm-hmm. and I feel like this story, because it's familiar, all the more so needs a kind of, and I was trying to think through what's a new heading, and I could try to come up with new ones every time I look at this text. And today, <laughs> verse 7 just grabbed me. Then the eyes of both were open, and it grabbed me when you pointed out that the word sin doesn't appear. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to say, okay, what is the event that right. we're naming as fall or sin or whatever? Because there yeah. is an event happening here. There's exactly. something big happening. And a th- and initially, I was going to title it in my head, The Serpent, The Woman, and The Tree, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, straightforward yeah. descriptive this is that part yeah remember that passage that's where this is <laughs> but then to really almost overdo it the other way over it but on purpose as a count a counter determinant mm-hmm. i'll call it i wanted right. to title it today the opening of their eyes <laughs> it's a little more literary <laughs> yeah and that seems to be the that's the like verse seven is when a, a christian reader might accidentally say then they fell Right. From grace, or then that's, they fell into sin, right? Yeah. Then they committed the original sin, yeah. you know? But yeah, the verse I, says the eyes of both were opened, uh-huh. and they knew they were naked, which links with the knowledge of good and mm-hmm. evil. Yeah. Well, my the header on mine uh, is the first sin and its punishment, <laughs> which the... The identification of the first sin, mm. one sin and it it is it, it it does set you up to say like okay well where yeah. is where is the event where is the turning point which which of the things that happens in this narrative is the sin is it ah, is it eating the fruit is it listening to the serpent is it you focus on the act in verse right, which action verse six right it? right but then in the and blame who's to blame the guy or yeah, the girl or yeah. the serpent well, hold, right hold on, yeah, right, hold on. maybe we will uh, but yeah it, it sets you up to identify sin <sighs> as a, good a specific action which that all that sin is well to go back to your original point about just remember that this is a narrative right mm-hmm. so if it's a narrative the idea that there's a single of act on which everything hangs is actually destroys narrative logic mm-hmm. the whole point of a narrative is a series of acts and events mm-hmm. that unfold as a, in a some kind of sequence mm-hmm. um so such that it's all an event that right. has a kind of shape oh my and i'm realizing the 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 sin of the sin of my own sexism when i said this the serpent the woman and the tree it's like mm-hmm. adam's standing there the whole dang time right. right she was there with him sorry but of course that is a surprise i think that's uh-huh. i think that's delayed on yeah. purpose it's like a I, twist yeah like, cuz you imagine yeah and I remember I would I was an adult, you know, grew up in the church, but I was an adult before anyone pointed out that Adam was there. So just in the way it kind of exists in Christian consciousness, you, you get the the woman talking to the serpent and eating the fruit. And then I almost had this picture of the woman then taking the fruit and trotting off to go yeah. find Adam and give it to him. Like, oh, it's so oh, wait, good. Sin's right great. Here. Right here. Yeah. Yeah. those details that are significant yeah oh yeah oh my yes (laughs) then they heard the sound i don't know maybe it's time to well i'll i'll 
I'll, I'll pitch, I'll pitch an idea at you and then we'll take a break and come back and start with this idea if you're okay with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and we will need to read a little longer, I think, for it to work, but someone suggested to me one time years ago, and if you've already done this, I apologize, but then our listeners can enjoy us doing it, uh, to read this text aloud with a friend and picture in your mind Adam and Eve as toddlers, not again, not as a mm. historical claim or as an exegetical claim, as mm-hmm. a thought experiment mm-hmm. to capture because of our, I won't over theologize. I'll just hint that at least one level are the images we're used to seeing of this kind of like beautiful couple mm-hmm. has a tendency that pictures worth a thousand words. It's over reading mm-hmm. the text and to picture them as toddlers brings out the innocence, which fits mm. the language of knowledge of good and evil, right? Mm-hmm. It's not that they're this perfect, mature couple that falls into sin. Whatever age they are, they're, mm-hmm. they're innocent, unaware, right. uh, manipulated, mm-hmm. manipulable, uh, confusable, <laughs> confused. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I, I'm jumping ahead as to why it matters, but it's a little thought experiment that if you're open to trying it with me, I'd love to do after sure. the break. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's take a little break. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm your host, John Drury, and I'm here with Miranda Cruz, first-time guest. Been so excited to look at this passage with you and have you on the show. And we are looking at Genesis uh, 3, verses 1 through 7, and there was included a little reference from chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, just to set it up. And before the break, I pitched uh, this kind of thought experiment that I'd like you to try with me. Maybe we can kind of take turns at reading or maybe, I don't know, playing character. Oh, do you, do you want to be narrator and I'll oh, be sure. characters or vice versa? What would sure, you, you I'll, want to I'll make up narrator. funny voices for the, okay. <laughs> all right. You be narrator. I'll be characters. And I'm just asking us as well as all our listeners to kind of just for a thought experiment, kind of picture them as like toddlers and young children and see how that affects our reading. Go mm-hmm. for it. So you want to start with chapter three? Yeah, let's just start with three. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it, or touch it, or you will die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked. So I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? 
Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me the tree from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Then the Lord says the serpent and goes into poetry a little bit. So, prophetic poetry embedded in a narrative. So, we'll... Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So, thought experiment, it may yield nothing and we can ignore it. But mm-hmm. what does that do for you when you picture it that way? Does it, does it, it come definitely off to... highlights the innocence of it, um, which then causes <clears throat> causes more questions in a lot of ways. Like <laughs> children being in this situation uh, versus adults. It seems more, uh, it raises more questions for what God is up to in, in this, in the circumstance that they're highlighting that innocence. Yeah. And I, and and I, I like doing that again, not to assert that they had toddler bodies. We have no idea what kind of bodies they had. That's a speculative question Mm -hmm. that the text is not really even interested in Mm -hmm. answering for us. But given what we do have in the narrative, I mean, they kind of were born yesterday. Mm-hmm. So they are toddlers of mind, even mm-hmm. if not of body, if that makes sense. So, mm-hmm. so that's why I find it helpful because, and, and then it raises and it makes the, the sort of a problem of the room that God gives for evil to emerge, as you said, makes it mm-hmm. more troubling. But of course, that means we're actually taking the text seriously because right. that is a troubling <laughs> question and you can't solve it through exegetical somersaults because it'll pop up somewhere else in some other text. It's like, you know, the whole story of the gospel raises the question. I heard something new. So again, I've done this exercise for a few years because a friend of mine sort of first exposed it to me and we just giggled and giggled, (laughs) like just picturing. And we had, we just had like, we were friends Mm -hmm. and just had kids around the same age. So we had toddlers at the time. So it was cracking us up, Uh you know? And, and uh, the kind of like, I didn't do the voice right for it, but even like her kind of, that's not what he said. He said this, like kind of arguing right. over what the rules are is a uh-huh. classic, like, you know, uh, transitional toddler esque kind mm-hmm. of thing to do. And then the, uh, yeah, looking for loopholes. And, and then seven's a biggie. <laughs> right. The eyes were open and they knew they were naked. I mean, there, uh-huh. that is a part of uh-huh. human development is the right. kind of like emergence of shame and awareness of nudity mm-hmm. and like, you know, there's just, just this utter comfort with a body that with mm-hmm. one's body that just is the experience of childhood that right. kind of transitions at some point. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and it's not, it doesn't seem like that's not on the mind of the authors of this text that they would want to kind of like, there's a lot of the stories from Genesis one through 11 have this kind of, well, that's where that comes from. You know, like, like Noah's yeah, the exactly. first guy to ha- get drunk as far uh-huh. as we can tell, you know, yeah. it's like, oh, that's where that comes from. Right. Like, uh-huh. you know, like, so uh-huh. that's all. Or Babel, that's where it comes from. You know, Babylon comes from, you know, mm-hmm. some jerks that build a tower, you know, like, mm-hmm. like this kind of where, where to, yes. where do things come from that verse seven has the, ah, now, you know, why suddenly every kid at some point mm-hmm. starts becoming embarrassed about their body mm-hmm. and, and we think of that in some ways as a loss of innocence mm-hmm. and only indirectly would we call that like sin. It's more of a, you know, it's intertwined with sin. We start mm-hmm. committing sins often because of our f- fears and anxieties connected to innocence, mm-hmm. but it's not a straightforward. The thing I never noticed before was verse eight is it's totally like dad coming home from work. <laughs> 
sorry for the genderizing of it, but it's so clear, right? right? It's yeah. like you're like hiding you come, behind it, the couch or something. In the cool of the yeah. evening, right? This uh-huh. is when a farmer's done working. Uh-huh. And he comes home and he's like and and then even verse nine is more playful. Mm-hmm. Where are you? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and then I am yeah. afraid. Yeah. And then there's a tenderness, I think, in God's at least mm-hmm. initial words that it doesn't have to be, you know, filled with anger. It's, mm-hmm. you know, not who told you you were naked. It could be, oh, oh, shoot. Right. You found that out today. Yeah. <laughs> Crap. Now we have to talk. Now we have to have the talk. Exactly. Exactly. Anyway, we don't have to camp out on that. But, mm-hmm. but, uh, what, what are some of the, th- you mentioned some theological troubles. What are, what are some of the things that, are coming to your mind today as kind of central interpretive questions that mm-hmm. if can't be settled, at least need to be addressed as one prepares to teach or preach on a text like this. Yeah. I think, I think one of the biggest kind of meta questions here is, is God then responsible for the existence <laughs> of evil in the world? Yeah. <laughs> Did God do that? Mm-hmm. Uh, God certainly creates the circumstance in which the in which evil is possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what do we, what do we do with that? What does that mean? And of course, different people answer that in very different ways. So that, mm. that I think is kind of the biggest question, but then uh, right alongside it, I think is what is the nature of sin? Then what is this? Mm. If, if this text uh, uh, is, if it is accurate to call it the first sin or the fall or, mm-hmm. or whatever, um, kind of like first sin is, better. That's a little better. Implies there's more to come, and it's going right. to take eleven chapters to really unravel. Yeah, this kind of yeah. getting the, that ball in motion. <laughs> unfortunately, yeah, uh, yeah. What what is the nature of that? Because obviously, we don't limit sin, the act of sinning, to eating a piece of fruit that God right. said no to. Like it's not, right. it's not this specific action. This is, this is the action that's revealing to us something about the nature of this sin. Uh, so, so what is that? And I think the texts give us a lot of motion toward an answer about the nature of sin itself. I'm going to, I'm going to go out on a limb and then we'll go back to your first question. Just to talk mm-hmm. about that second question. Mm-hmm. I think the second question's easier anyway. Is it? <laughs> I think so. That's perfect because I don't. So 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 mm-hmm. I'll 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 pick a fight in the healthy sense of the word. Like like okay. introduce a dialectic, yeah. as it were. Could it be that this is the event of sin's possibility as opposed to the first sin? Is this the zero point? Again, I say we have to go back to the first question because then of course we mm-hmm. have to ask God created the conditions for the possibility of mm-hmm. rendering sin possible. But mm-hmm. I mean, this is why I bring up the innocence question, because I think we, not without reason, speak of a child as not yet accountable, not mm-hmm. yet responsible. Because if you don't know right from wrong, yeah. it's actually an adult's job to protect and to guide and teach right from wrong. Mm-hmm. And when the, when that comes, you then are, there are actions that my, Already, even still, and, and, and it's an ongoing development. It's not a, I think the assumption there's a moment when we go from perfection to sin, I think is mm-hmm. a theological mistake. Mm-hmm. I think there's innocence that is lost, and then the story of salvation unfolds, and the culmination is not a return to a garden. It's mm-hmm. a city. It's a very green city, but it's a city. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't go back 
to Adam and Eve. It doesn't happen. It, it, mm-hmm. we go forward to something beyond even right. that. So to think of them as immature and innocent is not to deny their cleanliness and holiness, but it is to say the simple way of putting it is they're created good, not created perfect. Mm-hmm. So saying all of that makes me want to kind of explore. And I'm cheating here because I'm spoiler alert. I'm thinking like chapter four with Cain and Abel with, with right. the first time the word sin does appear. Mm-hmm. Sin is crouching at the door, right? Sort of implying that even, even his sacrifice was not yet sin, at least in this narrow sense of using the term. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to take a rabbinic approach where the term didn't appear, so it doesn't exist yet. Only uh-huh. what's in the text exists, right? right? So then that means that that in some ways you could narrate the murder of Abel as the first sin named mm-hmm. as such. Crouching at the door implies it's right outside the door. This is the kind of maybe first kind of like the the imagery of sin as this like creature outside the door. This is like when the, the sin first smells a victim, mm-hmm. right? It's like, oh, I can take advantage of this, right? But maybe this is just loss of innocence and that's the only thing happening here. I, I'm, 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 I don't know if this is my actual view. I'm kind of pushing it harder. Mm-hmm. To see how you might want to correct right. me and clean clean up my heterodoxy here. <laughs> well, it's definitely it's definitely a reset in a way. Like, Ooh, nice the, word. The situation in which they are placed is different when God puts them in yeah. it to what it is at the end of this text. And so, if we yeah, they're cursed. Yeah, if we take that curses and punishment approach yeah. <laughs> it's not the same yeah, word like the situation <laughs> has changed yes and the relationships have been altered and absolutely uh so if we look at um that god gives the command you're you know don't do this uh don't eat this fruit do eat this then presumably the the concept of a command to do and not do something is meaningful like, yeah. like the it's man the has, the, for the has the capacity, of yes. <laughs> right, to, to know what do this, don't do this means. So there's not entire innocence in that sense, ah, good. but there's not, there's not a full understanding of the consequences. Like God yeah, says, good. in the day you eat of it, huh. you will die, but there's not an experience of death yet. Uh, so there, that word is meaningful but in a very limited way it's like telling a kid who's never who you know the first time a grandparent dies and they've never experienced death before like they yeah, don't really yeah. know what death that's right is that's the other big loss of innocence is yeah that experience, first experience of death, of death. right oh that's good and so they and the snake fits that perfectly because right. first encounter with an animal that's a danger to you mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know i mean in the form of words here but yeah i mean if you if we take something along the lines of like you know good by its opposite they don't know the opposite yet experientially uh, they know the words for it well, now you're maybe. emboldening me in my heterodoxy but- <laughs> because they don't have a concept of disobedience either or command these these none of this stuff makes any sense at so, a certain point but doesn't if, doesn't it just all unravel <laughs> right but we still if we go back to the toddler image uh-huh. a toddler also doesn't doesn't really understand consequences like at, yeah. you know in child development doesn't really understand the consequences of their actions but we still but they have a sense consequences of des- on them they, they understand desire mm-hmm. so they understand will and they in a relationship with a caretaker mm-hmm. a parent mm-hmm. an, an adult who expresses their will don't do x 
Mm-hmm. And so there's a conceptual, there's a tacit concept of preference, pleasure, power, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> All of that's in play. So I, I'm actually with you that, that a command just logically entails the concept of obedience consequences mm-hmm. all this stuff um so so there is a there is an emerging tacit understanding but the mm-hmm. thought of this as to use the language of leviticus uh, to think of genesis 3 as what Gen- what leviticus would call high-handed sin i think is a right. fundamental mistake i don't know if you agree with me right. but no i i would agree with that the first high-handed don't... sin is they're in their son when cain kills abel that is a mm-hmm. high-handed sin Quite literally, mm-hmm. lifting the hand to yeah. kill his brother. There's intention. It's there's awareness of the consequences. Premeditated. There's yeah, uh, and I think like this is this is not good action. No, no, but, of course it's evil, but it's not murder. <laughs> but yeah, uh, which then raises the whole um, yeah. question of like the the equality of sins and stuff, which sure. a lot of people just be like, oh well, sin is sin. Like, well, is it really? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, that's a funny thing. I, I almost want to like. Oh, I'll see your sin is sin and I'll raise you. The word sin doesn't appear till chapter four. That, that's how right. I would respond to that is to say, <laughs> I'm sorry. This, mm-hmm. this is neither. Yeah. Actually, it's more fall. It's more mm-hmm. fall than first sin, perhaps, but right. even fall is, you know, again, you could title the whole thing, the curse, you know, like the language of cursing is very clear here, but mm-hmm. even cursing is a more ancient concept that's not exactly the same as punishment mm-hmm. uh it's related obviously but right it's really uh, an act of disobedience what was the shirley die thing like or what, what did he die? die yeah was god joking i mean he, he did they didn't <laughs> <laughs> they didn't right yeah which is, I think, is one of the questions but i think the when we go on and especially in that the poetic section <laughs> verses 14 through 19 mm-hmm. ish i think that if if we look at what happens to them, kind of backfill and say, okay, God said on the day you eat of it, you will die. Mm-hmm. We plant into that our concept of life and death, which mm-hmm. we tend to reduce to, you know, oh. your heart is beating and breath is going in and out of your lungs. Hmm. But if we look at the reality of, okay, well, what does actually happen to them on that day? There's all this alienation yeah, that, you know, between God and the man between the the humans and their own bodies and nature and yeah so so if that's what death is if death isn't just okay now you're your mortal more life of a power end, more of a power that shapes yeah. your life and turns it into something that it's not intended to be right yeah yeah the life as you life as it is intended in creation life as you've known it that is over and the situation is now different and you're it's the living dead in a sense Ooh, and it's not oh, just wow it's not just like spiritual death which you know i think is an easy explanation of like oh well that, now they're now sin is a possibility and so they need jesus true but like that still reduces that sin to to something i think more like the label simplistic than yeah the label is. spiritual death could be the caption on what you just said about living mm-hmm. dead right but since that motto has come to kind of be too mm-hmm. reduced, maybe yeah. some other term is, yeah. is beneficial here. Because when we read the, what happens to them, it's not all spiritual. It's very bodily and it's physical and it's relational. And it's not just, okay, well, now you're separated from God and you need Jesus to get back to God. It's 
you're tilling the soil and it's hard work yeah. and giving birth is painful and the relationship between husbands and wives is distorted and it's, it's all this very earthy consequences that are part of that death. Yeah. And so much of the relationship of Ha'adam, the, the, the man, mm-hmm. the Adam to work, to the land, mm-hmm. to the relationships of genders. A lot of this is so overdetermined mm-hmm. by death. Mm-hmm. I mean, the need to even have more children is kind of built around the fact that we're not going to be here. Right. So, mm-hmm. so the way that death, the way that death casts its shadow over the whole of life. Right. I think you're dead right is just sort of woven into this, to the cursings. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that sense, there is fulfillment of the, of the threat that you will surely die. Mm-hmm. Flip side, you know, could be an act of mercy. <laughs> not flip side. Yes. And right. Yes. Right. And it could be that, yeah, death's entering in, but mm-hmm. no, I'm not just going to kill you off right away because perhaps the, you will surely die was a sort of a divine passive as it were, you know, mm-hmm. you know, I will kill you. And he's choosing not to, I mean, and, and, and parents do this all the time. You give threats and then you back uh-huh. off, you know, like, and right. I think the picture of God here is not like in a whole Bible approach. I'm willing to talk about how the character of God fits mm-hmm. and how you've got to bring in other aspects and God's unchangingness right. and all that. Like as the text presents itself, God is responding and interacting. He's, uh-huh. he's saying, where are you? But I don't really need to yeah, know because I already know everything. Like uh-huh. omniscience is not on the radar here. Uh-huh. The point of the story is, hey, I came down to talk to you. Where are you? You know, yes. like, you know, whatever else is true about God, it's not in the foreground. How's that? I'll say right. we'll put that's in the background. Same with whether this is the first sin in the fall. I mean, obviously, there's probably listeners in saying, but doesn't Paul say through Adam, sin came, through Adam, death came? Well, of course, I believe all of that. That's really right. good. Romans 5 exegesis. Mm-hmm. That's not Genesis 3 exegesis. <laughs> right. And, I, and, and actually, all the things I've said today, I hope, and the things you've been saying about death and these don't actually contradict those claims. Right. Because again, if it's getting you're you mm-hmm. use that phrase getting the ball rolling, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, it starts here. Right. Right? Um, and then you read the rest of the Old Testament and it I mean the whole just thing is just yep. this is terrible. Like things yeah. get terrible and there's uh there's murder and there's especially war those first and 11 chapters. Whew. Yeah. And it it just it just gets worse and worse and worse. Uh, and, and it starts here. This, yep. this is, you know, sets the new scene in which all of that is possible. Yeah. But it's like, it feels more like a, like, you know, like a sweater that unravels. There's that first mm-hmm. right string and you sometimes don't even know like what, what nail you caught on mm-hmm. some wall. Mm-hmm. while distracted doing something else. Now that's a maybe a little too innocent, but I do want to introduce at least a little of the innocence to recognize like even just the concept of a first sin mm-hmm. requires that it's a different thing. It's a fall from grace. It's a, it's a fall from innocence. Right. It's a doing a thing. You didn't really know what you were doing when you did it. Kind of, there has mm-hmm. to be some of it in there or all you do is end up saying, well, then the real sin was the, the serpent who's Satan and he fell. And then you, th- then you're just pushing the problem yeah, back, back, back. You internalize yeah. sin so much that we don't have to deal with an issue within ourselves. Mm-hmm. Just like, oh, well, it's the devil made me Out do there, it. Like, right. No, I mean, maybe, but, but no, we, yes, we don't just get to cast <laughs> that off on Satan as if we had no role in it, or we're just kind of passively being influenced. Well, this takes me back to your first question, which alas, we do not have time to, resolve or even properly analyze, but 
we could just introduce it here and then mm-hmm. come back for sermon starters. Nice. And if we want to, yeah. right. But it makes me want to just pitch like whatever responsibility God does or does not have for the emergence of sin in the world. And clearly a straight answer, either direction is problematic. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing you and I would be on the same page as that, that uh, either way, wherever you kind of land on that, and we can come back to that if you'd like, but God takes responsibility for sin here. He mm-hmm. takes responsibility for sin and its consequences. That's mm-hmm. different than saying he's responsible for it happening or mm-hmm. causes it. Those are the author of sin. Those are right. much more problematic claims, mm-hmm. but, he's going but to, to say that, with it. yep, that he takes it on as mm-hmm. His business to deal with, mm-hmm. both to punish and to cleanse and to correct and mm-hmm. to incorporate into his lordship. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a sermon idea yet or not, but I just thought I'd slip that in under the wire before we take mm-hmm. a break. Is that cool? Yeah. Gonna do something about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do something about it. Yeah. yeah. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. Here with my guest, Miranda Cruz, and we are looking at Genesis uh, chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, and then primarily Genesis 3, 1 through 7, although we've already dipped a little bit past that. And as we've said before, I mean, lectionary is a jumping off point for this for this program, as well as for, for preachers, you know, I mean, it's good to know what else is there. Like if, if nine, I actually glanced when, when we were reading, mm-hmm. if like the next week is verses nine through four, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Then you want to maybe not, if you're planning on preaching that. So you want to plan ahead a little, mm-hmm. but then I looked and it's not, it's, it's Genesis really? 12. So, oh, so all okay. they've got is, it's just a Lent. It's a series in Lent kind of uh-huh. a key kind of culminating in Ezekiel 37. So it's like the whole narrative of the Old Testament through key texts. Got it. Kind of unfolding during Lent in year Mm -hmm. A. We're in year A. Okay. So that makes a little sense, right? Fall Mm -hmm. during Lent, you know, start there. This is the first Sunday. Yeah. I I, I forgot to tension. The penitent Right. The Genesis 12, election of Abraham. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, you can see the, the unfolding. That makes sense. So with that in mind... What are uh, what are some sermon starters we can explore? Let's explore some sermon starters. We don't have to have a fully cooked mm-hmm. sermon. Just what are some ideas or words of advice or directions you might want to go if you were preaching this text? Or what what's the sermon you wish you could hear someday on this text? You know, <laughs> yeah. What, I think what comes to mind. The the first thing that comes to mind, and just because this is the way I teach this text in uh, theology class, is looking at how how sin works in our lives because mm. i think i think when we look at three one through seven we see this sequence of events of uh this kind of you have the serpent you have the woman the woman is engaging with this possibility of sin like you have this fruit and uh you know the serpent's talking to her and and all that she, she has all these choices along the way like she can kind of keep talking to the serpent or she can walk away she can hmm. uh reach for the fruit or not she can take a bite or not she can give it to her husband or not and all these choices i think when we think about how sin works in our own lives it's it's rarely about you know eat the fruit or not but it is that engage with this temptation or not do the thing or don't drag someone else into it or don't. And there's all these Mm. choices along the way that I think this is one of the things I think this text does is show us kind of how sin works 
there's steps along the way, there's temptation, there's choices and connecting that with, um, God always provides a way out of temptation as we're promised in what right. first, first Corinthians yep. maybe. Yep. Um, maybe second. No. <laughs> Bummer. <laughs> so I'm a theologian. No, no. no. <laughs> I do not accept that excuse. <laughs> no. I'm looking but, it up. But yeah, God, go for it. God doesn't like tempt us beyond what we can bear. God provides a way out. And I think there's some natural connections there, uh, to, yeah, how we, we don't, yeah, we don't just kind 10, of, first Corinthians 10, 13. Yes. We don't just kind of, sin doesn't just come out of nowhere. There's kind of steps along the way and we have to be aware of, of our, of our temptations and our engagement with that temptation and taking that way out, you know, at step one, when the serpent says, starts talking instead of taking, uh, taking that way mm. out, you know, at, at step five, when you've already sinned, but you haven't dragged somebody else into it yet. That's so good. I I love everything that you're saying. Can I, can I add two things yeah, that would be sort of grist for the mill of this, mm-hmm. this emerging sermon that, I mean, not every narrative text requires a explicitly narrative sermon and when i right. say explicitly narrative i'm just differentiating from like a narratively structured sermon like mm-hmm. you can have a narratively structured you right. know like some of paul's letters are not narratives in the genre sense but there mm-hmm. there's an underlying kind of story yes. being told mm-hmm. and tension and release and yada yada mm-hmm. right so right. i'm not talking about that structural level just mm-hmm. literally kind of like going through the text and unfolding a story and maybe weaving mm-hmm. in a a story from our lives that, mm-hmm. that intertwines but having said that, maybe precisely because this story gets turned into dogma so quickly that there would be wisdom, I wonder, or prudence mm-hmm. at least in choosing to really just hug the text and keep it, mm-hmm. keep it storied. Yeah. Um, so I like that idea. And so that I, I and maybe that's not what you were suggesting, but I, I was noticing you saying there's all these moments and you could almost mm-hmm. let that be the kind of rough outline, at least as you're right. working on the sermon. And, mm-hmm. and I went paralleling th- it with something more familiar. Exactly. At each, at each step, mm-hmm. that would be the way to make it personal. Mm-hmm. And some of what we do on the show, not always, but sometimes we kind of create a little skeleton mm-hmm. that then like, okay, then you make it your own. Mm-hmm. And I mean, man, when I've heard stories like second, third hand of like, Hey, so I listened to your show and then I heard your sermon the next week. <laughs> And it was all, and it was in a good way, like uh-huh. not in a, like right. they made it their own. They it's told a, their own stories, it's a but service to the church, that's but the, the three intent. points, the three points were the three points you laid out, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, heck yes. That's exactly what I'm looking mm-hmm. for. That's why I think of sermon starters. This isn't like a private property of my own idiosyncratic right. intellectual property. It's, Hey, we're just, mm-hmm. you know, these are just half cooked, <laughs> right. <laughs> still fresh ideas, yeah. <laughs> not yet cooked. See what the spirit fresh say. implies not <laughs> cooked, right? Like, so not fully <laughs> cooked. So it's good that you and I didn't have. Uh, even though I teased you because of your excuse as saying, oh, nothing uh, but mm-hmm. that we didn't know the reference because mm-hmm. I like letting people know, like mm-hmm. we're, we're making this, we're, we're yeah. not making this up. We're I'm working it out. Texting, but, no, but sometimes there's clear I turned there, there and it's a perfect intertext <laughs> yeah. in context. Check it out for you have not been tempted perasmos mm-hmm. trial temptation. Same as Lord's prayer. Right. Except in the manner of every anthropos. Uh-huh. Except what is common to man. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 
right? And I mean, yeah. in the Ha Adam, the the, the man, mm-hmm. the human, in right. Genesis, in the mm-hmm. the Septuagint, just yeah, whipping it out. I'm right. double checking, but I'm almost certain it's all. I mean, even in this, so it uses. Adam as a proper name sometimes, mm-hmm. but early in the story when there's a kind of double meaning of right. Adam and the word anthropos does appear, I believe, and I'm just double checking. Do, 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 do. Let us make man in our, yeah, there it is, mm-hmm. anthropos, right? Mm-hmm. Um, let us make anthropos, the, the human, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in our own image. I just thought I'd bring that up to say that it's not implausible and I'd have to do a little more digging. But given what else Paul says about this text, we have That's good reason. Even in First Corinthians, chapter 15 is one of the Adam mm-hmm. parallel yeah. moments. And so the notion of like this kind of human – and this doesn't have to just be a reference to, yeah, everybody struggles. But mm-hmm. uh, the common humanity that starts there in Genesis 3, that this is an mm-hmm. exegetical claim on Paul's part, which fits at least right. Paul's mostly a rabbi interpreting text. Mm-hmm. So he might not just be – since I grew up hearing this text, again, proof text out of context right. and out of the way that Paul thought, kind of entered into mm-hmm. a different thought world, it was always said to me as a kind of like empirical claim. It'll right. never be too hard, therefore it's your fault, right? It's a moral right. claim and an empirical claim. Right. And it probably is that, but that doesn't sound like Paul. Paul's making a claim not about common experience, but the text here – you know, God is faithful mm-hmm. to see Genesis three as the story of God's faithfulness is a mm-hmm. twist. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. God is faithful. He will not allow temptation more than you are able, right? More than you mm-hmm. can handle, but rather will do. Hold on. I got lost. Um, but will with the temptation. Also make a way to escape that you may mm-hmm. be able to bear it. I mean, that you could put that as a little caption underneath this mm-hmm. story today. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. I, yeah. I got excited about your yeah, your, nothing, your, think... your cross text and ran with it. I hope that wasn't annoying. But no, oh. not at all. The other was just going through the verbs mm-hmm. as an outline. Oh, Everything sure. the humans do, every verb attributed to them. Tell me if I missed one. So the first I get, we, there might be implied ones, but explicit. Mm-hmm. Verse two. The woman said, right. So she's engaging in dialogue with Mm -hmm. this, with this, because the beginning of the sin here, it, now I'm going to sound like a Thomas, but it begins in the intellect. It begins in. Right. That's how I tend to think of it too. Yeah. High five. (laughs) It's it's not like you're only sinning when you actually do the physical action because you're, you're ruminating and meditating. Yes. (laughs) So the woman said to the servant and then. Certain says back. And then verse mm-hmm. six, I think is the next uh, verb attributed to a human being when the woman saw. So it goes mm-hmm. from kind of dialogue to, to seeing, uh, sort of, you know, from concepts to percepts, as it were. Right. Uh, and, and the seeing is a kind of judging too, because it's a special, it's a seeing that saw that. Mm-hmm. And then three mm-hmm. facts about the tree and the, and the, the fruit. Mm-hmm. She then took. 6B, mm-hmm. and she gave also. Mm-hmm. And that's a kind of triplet of actions, but distinct, yep. I think, right? Because you mentioned, mm-hmm. I was brilliant. I heard you say, when you were rattling them off, one was the, uh, whether we choose to involve others or not, mm-hmm. you know. Then what happens to them, verse 7, which I think is uh, probably a parallelism. Eyes were open. They knew they were naked. Uh-huh. So they 
episode. They knew. And then the last, mm-hmm. in way, perhaps a kind of icing on this sin cake for a moment. I bet I, sin shouldn't be, well, <laughs> whatever. Is they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covered. Like, they try to fix it. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of the loss of innocence and mm-hmm. the and therefore ultimately of the sin mm-hmm. is our attempts. And now I'm going to sound like yeah. a reformational preacher, but I'm like, mm-hmm. this is their works righteousness, right? They're uh-huh. trying to clothe themselves, right? right? Like, mm-hmm. whereas like, that's the moment to say, God, 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 we screwed up. Please help, uh-huh. help, help, right? Like we're naked, help. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so like they're miss, like you said, there's these opportunities and then God does in fact bring an escape. Mm-hmm. By even though it's a curse, it's it's also a protection. Let's keep them away from this garden. Mm-hmm. If they eat that have fruit. some new boundaries on the way right. we live in this new broken reality. So did I miss any? Just going through. I don't it think real so. Quick. so uh, one... As I was reading along, I I think you caught all the ones that that are there. It's five or six, depending on. Mm-hmm. How you re- render se- uh, verse seven, mm-hmm. but that's a natural flow to a sermon too, right? And you can ask the kind of questions like, mm-hmm. you know, what kinds of thoughts do we explore? What kinds of things do we, what kind of judgments do we make about what's outside of us? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, and I think depending on uh, kind of the the preaching context and the the church and the the Christian tradition and all of that, it's worth. Uh, even addressing as a side note the issues of how Eve and therefore women get blamed mm. for sin and all that kind of thing. Uh, if that's if that's an issue worth addressing in your particular preaching context, I think so- sometimes that uh, because this exists in kind of cultural consciousness yeah. as like here's what Eve did, uh, and we forget that Adam was there. That has played out in Christian history in some really problematic ways, and even into the present, uh, where the the woman is the one who is blamed for sin, and the ways that that still happens in culture now. I don't think you need to make a whole sermon out of that necessarily, but in some contexts, in some congregations, it may warrant a mention. Yeah, and and it would fit right under kind of. Mm-hmm. Phase four of the story. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a side note. She gave it also to her husband and notice Mm -hmm. he was with her Mm -hmm. and then he ate, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Mm -hmm. So. And the activity, the passivity there, like the Adam being passively present doesn't doesn't make him less culpable. mm -hmm. This is the sin of humans, not the sin of the one or the other. Yeah. That's why I think it's occasionally helpful. You don't have to go all out Hebrew geeking, right? Mm-hmm. But one little Hebrew geekery that would be appropriate again on that same verse is to just mention that the word translated as humankind or man in this, in the, in the mm-hmm. kind of generic sense right. is Adam. It's the same his proper name as the the male partner in this male female mm-hmm. couple is doubling as the name for just the species that they right. are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. It's, I think that's, and I think I don't like, I, I mean, I can't stand, I don't even like hearing it. I try to get over it. Cause you know, I can only get mad about so many things in a day, <laughs> but man, man, you know, that kind of uh-huh. talk. Right. Um, and so I, you'll mm-hmm. I occasionally, I just, I don't mind teaching 
people that I'm teaching or preaching a, a little Hebrew, like Ha-Adam, you know, the Adam, or sometimes yeah. in English, I'll just say the Adam. Uh-huh. And that's my way of talking about, you know, humanity. Yeah. Because yeah. even humanity is kind of abstract. The, the I don't really like that human. word. <laughs> yeah. The dirt, the, the dirt thing. Yeah. <laughs> the living dirt. <laughs> that's right. Right. Because it's also yeah. related to the word for soil, mm-hmm. which is so fascinating too. Yeah. yeah. Whole um, other sermon there. <laughs> yeah. Although maybe worth mentioning in verse one, because her judgments in verse five, that, excuse me, in verse six, that the tree was good for food and a delight to the eyes and the tree was desirable to make one wise. That first line, good for food, that appears back in chapter one and two. Mm-hmm. So that is true, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and so they come from the earth and the, that which comes from the earth is for them and has a purpose. Mm-hmm. And so this is the misuse of the good. Mm-hmm. So even though it's the knowledge of good and evil, it is not an evil tree. And that would right. be a, and that's sometimes how we talk about sin. Like it's, there's mm-hmm. these evil things out there that need yeah, to be avoided. Absolutely thing. not. No, yeah. it's knowledge. In fact, is a, is a good thing that, he, mm-hmm. that God is choosing to withhold from them. They're not ready yet. Yeah. At least that's how I would take it. Uh, mm-hmm. Wilbur Williams, when he would teach on this text would say that God, I'm not going to do that. I really want to do it, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> um, out of respect. Uh, he would say that, uh, well, God would have eventually let them eat from that tree, hmm. which is interesting. And I think whether that's exegetically justifiable in a good rabbinic way, it raises a kind of good sort of philosophical question about mm-hmm. it, this. Why would God create a thing that's absolutely forbidden forever? That actually right. doesn't, that ends up, you end up being a Gnostic if you do that. It mm-hmm. has to be in some sense good, just mm-hmm. not good for them for now. Yeah. And fascinating not, thought. If it doesn't have goodness to it then it didn't come from god and everything comes from god exactly you don't have creation from nothing exactly so. <laughs> I, I don't know i find that fascinating mm-hmm. yeah, thought really experiment to mm-hmm. to and of course you think of children mm-hmm. no is almost always not yet mm-hmm. most no is not yet yeah. actually the, the, there are some but mm-hmm. but but uh the, yeah, there are some absolute no's but you even the absolute no's that. are What's being absolutely forbidden is acts that are intrinsically uh, distortions of mm-hmm. good things. It's not the things themselves. They're all from God. You know, right. I don't know. That's a, a little thought I slipped in under the wire. It probably not. It may. Mm-hmm. Again, these are just little random points that slip in mm-hmm. and hopefully illustrates for our listeners that like, even though we follow this kind of pattern of, you know, observation, interpretation, application, mm-hmm. you don't like, you're not now done with your exegesis. It cycles back around right. because- once you kind of pick a theme or focus for a sermon, then you go back and you do some more exegesis because mm-hmm. now you have some more focus and some questions. And mm-hmm. so, yeah. well, I've said enough and, and I wish I would have had more time with you or would have shut up more and heard more from you because I, I, I really enjoyed having you on the show and I'm so, yeah. so thankful Happy for the hour it. that you gave. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for giving an hour to um, our listeners and to me and to, most of all the text. Uh, sure thing. Yeah. And thanks to Eric Fisher and Tabu Shang for all the great uh, production work they do. I can't imagine doing this show without them. Thanks to Tom Adamson for donating the theme music. And with that said, I say have a good week and have a great preach. Oh, I usually say it the other way around. I got that wrong. They're going to be mad at me. <laughs> okay. You can edit it out or you can leave it in and I'll say have a good preach and a great week. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye.